Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Wednesday the 12th of May. Today I'm joined by Tash Blackmore, who is an ambassador at Watson's Daily. Hi there, Tash. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not bad, not bad. So what is uh, what do you find most interesting in Watson's Daily today? So today I chose a story about Ian Osborne, who leads the fund manager, Hedo Sophia, and is a key player in the US back boom. Osborne ha- has plans to launch the region's biggest tech-focused blank check company called Hedo Sophia European Growth, mm-hmm. and it aims to raise 400 million euros to target European tech companies. Mm-hmm. So this is a shell company which will merge with a private group and then take it public. Mm-hmm. I th- I thought this was really interesting, firstly, because of the timing. Yep. So Europe's SPAC market has not fully sprung into action. So I think he's identified prime opportunity to launch um, this company to gain investment and find target companies. Osborne has um, been involved in the trend of SPAC investments in the US and Asia. So he's got that experience and expertise to do this in Europe. Mm-hmm. I think this will add more pressure on the UK government to relax regulation so as not to miss out on these types of listings. Mm. Um, the new company is actually expected to list on the Euronext in Amsterdam. So yeah. it's another one of these listings that isn't going to be um, put on any London exchange. And I think what this shows is so the US back market has actually recently slowed following increased scrutiny. So I actually think this may not, there may not be the same boom in Europe coming because it all depends on investors and regulators' confidence. Mm -hmm. But I think that this deal itself just shows that they are trying to respond to these concerns. Yeah. Um, So there's a number of things that this deal is doing. So they're limiting the management initially to 10% of the promote shares and then an additional 5% if the stocks rise from the initial price of 10 euros. Hedo Sophia management also plans to buy 5% of the offering and is going to be doing the underwriting and covering those fees and other fees. And it's the first time that Hedo Sophia has invested in a SPAC IPO directly in this way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's quite creative that they're trying to respond and reduce risks to attract investors. And overall, I just think that um, it'll be interesting to see how the IPO goes and the company, the target that is identified and chosen and whether, you know, Europe's going to learn from the US and maybe go down a different route by making these kind of reforms to attract um, the investment. What do you think? I think it's very interesting. I mean, you know, certainly you picked a good story there. I mean, I think that the mm-hmm. um, the it's interesting that obviously SPAC has been SPAC um, stuff has been has been red hot in in America, um, yeah. and you know to the extent that a lot of British companies who w- y- you'd have thought would um, would be quite quite att- well are attractive targets, they have listed on the New York Stock Exchange virus back um, because investors like it over there. I mean, I, it seems that um, um, investors over in, over in the States are more 
accommodating of this kind of thing. Mm. Um, a lot of these companies have never made a profit, in fact, hugely in loss. Um, and yet they promise all sorts of things um, for future growth in order to attract investor um, in, investor money. So um, I think that on the one hand, um, you've got to have a, a more amenable um, regulatory environment in Europe in order to be able to do this just, you know, from a technical basis. So at the moment, you can't really do it. But you need the you need the framework in order to do it. But the other thing that you also need for this is you need investors being on side. Now, at the moment, it seems like, for instance, a lot of London investors are saying, oh, maybe the, you know, the regulators should not allow this because mm. um, this is, you know, this is kind of dodgy or it, it exposes us to more to more risk. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of take the line. I mean, I know it's probably controversial, but I take the line that, well, if you're if you're that good an investor, um, then you should do your blooming homework um, and and see what you're you know, what, what you are actually buying. If you don't believe it, don't you know, don't don't buy into the hype. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's for the regulators to strike that balance between, you know, keeping everybody happy. Mm. But. If it is going on in US and Europe, then the UK government should definitely speed up to not, you know, not allow our markets to lose out on this opportunity. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I think that they that there is the point of view that the um, uh, that the fact that we've lost a lot of trading revenues, uh, for instance, uh, due to due to Brexit. And those mm. don't look like they're coming back anytime soon. Um, so. Some people think that this could be a way forward. Um, this could redress the balance. You know, could we become the yeah, the the centre for um, SPAC investments, or um, or even you know, there's talk about cryptocurrency stuff as well. But you know, I I think that um, you do need both sides to work. You need the um, the technical side, so that being the actually being able to do it, uh, and then you need the amenable investors. And I, I actually think <clears throat> that the investor side is harder to do than the regulatory side, because the regulatory side, as long as you get the regulators and, and governments pushing in the right direction, you, you can kind of get that done. But the difficulty is, is going to be convincing investors, especially ones that may have been burnt or they've seen what's gone on in, in the States and you know a bit yeah. a bit doubtful so you know the the thing is in america they they've done well because it was just creating a, a momentum and i think people just wanted to get on board you know they they kind of don't ask so many questions let's get let's get on board whereas now we're in as you as you rightly pointed out we're almost in a bit of a pause it a, a bit of a pause in america and that's given people time to think to see whether in fact you know is this a good thing or not yeah, and I agree about um, the regulators. There is a lot of talk about relaxing all sorts of rules to make us to make the nation more attractive mm. um, post Brexit. Mm. Yes, certainly, and and so you know we'll we'll see. But it's I think it's a very interesting story, and um, the fact that this this guy's British and he's been quite at the forefront of it all um, in America, I think, is mm. also pretty useful as well because. I know that there have been other um, talk of other 
SPACs in Europe. Um, uh, but I think the fact that you've, you know, you've got someone here who's been right in the thick of it in the States could actually give it a bit of credibility or a bit more credibility and a bit more urgency, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What was your story today then? Well, um, my story today was about Deliveroo. Now, I thought this was quite amusing. The Well, so, oh, I suppose uh, not if you're a shareholder, but um, <laughs> I think that, you know, it's, it's an interesting story because um, it was a story from the Times and it was saying about how a lot of these banks um, who had been advising or been involved in the in the flotation of Deliveroo are now saying that actually, you know, its actual worth is 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 not that high. I think some of them are talking about value a value a share price target of of lower than the the uh, the selling the the um, selling price at the IPO. Which is ironic because, of course, the banks were saying, well, the, you know, the company is worth this. Um, therefore, you must buy it because we think actually it's worth more than that. Therefore, it will go up. But, of course, things have gone south, um, uh, you know, for Deliveroo um, since mm. that time. And, yeah, so it's kind of ironic. But I thought I would include this today. And I, w- I said in, in Watson's Daily, I'd give a bit more of an explanation to this. Now, the thing is, is um, uh, hopefully um, a lot of the listeners will know this by now, but I used to be a stockbroker for 13 years, four different investment banks, London and Tokyo, and I, I advised some some very big um, financial institutions. Um, as a, as a uh, part of that job, um, I did used to work on IPOs, and I was very much at the bottom of the food uh, of the food chain of this, where I was the um, the sales guy who was try who's the interface between um, the investment bank and the investment the the clients so what used to happen it's very interesting to see what happens um, whether you're involved in the deal or whether you're not involved in the deal <clears throat> so for instance if you were involved in the deal what would happen is you would get the um, you know the, the 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 prospectus that no one ever read because it was very thick, uh, very dull, um, very small type and all written in legalese. Plus the fact you had to get on the phone um, to talk to the clients, um, you know, within sort of 15 minutes. So there's just no time to read all this stuff Um, because it's all embargoes and things. You can't read it. But anyway, so um, so uh, you get this sort of executive summary um, of the investment case for why clients should buy into this deal. Uh, and that usually involved uh, some kind of report from your your team that covers that sector, and they will, they will come up with a valuation. Um, so that's, that's on, on that side. And so in terms of what happens then, you are then told which clients to phone um, because there's a, high, there's a pecking order of clients. So um, you are told who to call. Um, you call those clients and you basically say, hi there, you know, you might have seen seen the news. Um, we're involved in the IPO of XYZ company. And therefore, um, you know, and we think that it's a great company. You should buy into the IPO because of this, this, this and this. Right. That's and that's what you say. You might have a bit of a conversation them, them saying, well, what about, you know, what about this situation? Or isn't this a little bit isn't this a bit expensive or something like that? 
um and and you know you'll usually knock it back because they will have in this script that you get you you get a load of re you know reasons or potential um uh ob- objections so you, you you know you'll trot those out or you might have your own you know but usually you but you really especially with ipos you've got to stick to the script so you sort of say this the investor says thank you very much and then uh, oh and you offer a meeting or something like that um with the company the investor then goes away you know thank you very much and that's that um if on the other hand you are not involved in the deal what happens then is you phone up the clients and you say, hello, Mr. Clients or Mrs. Clients um, or Ms. Clients, uh, for instance. And you just say, look, what a, um, we, you, you may have seen the news on, on, on the tape. You might have seen that um, uh, the, you know, the XYZ deal is yeah, XYZ is coming to market. Uh, we're not in the deal. Um, and so, therefore, we can uh, tell you much we, we can give you a truly independent opinion on whether you should buy uh, buy that or not and the client will be you know will usually be quite interested in listening to what someone who's not on the deal says because if you are in the sorry i forgot to say if you are on the deal what you say is we're on the deal therefore we are closest to the the um the company therefore mm. we know everything there is to know and you can you know you can trust us right but if you're not on the deal you say well we're not getting paid by that by xyz um and therefore um you can trust what we say and then you you know you your analyst comes out with a um say this uh, research report that uh, details why it may be not worth as much as the ipo uh, uh price is is implying so the moral of all that is don't believe anyone who is <laughs> who talks to you who's paid by someone else to advise you because um you you know their their um, loyalties will be to who pays them mm-hmm. and um this is you know it's a classic thing that happens in in ipos but because delivery was so high profile and has fallen so far for something with such a high profile um that's why i think it's it's worth mentioning now because i i I suppose that most people who not in it and and done it don't really don't realize what goes on in the background so i thought i'd let you know what kind of goes on in the background there yeah that was useful thanks peter when when the banks uh who are involved in the deal and are evaluating a company mm-hmm. are they looking to underestimate so the share price will surge on listing or to overestimate or just to try and show the true value i think that the the official answer that you will get is they try to estimate the true value and possibly put it at the lower end um of expectation just because um it's a good idea for an investment bank to um for future deal flow to um ensure that an ipo goes well because you want everyone to have a bit of feel good right so you want everyone so you want the investor who bought in to think oh i'm a genius i bought in and the stock's up 30 percent already i'm an investment Mm -hmm. guru right so that's what that's what they want that's what they want the investment banks um, want people to say, oh, yeah, you pick really great companies 
So the next time that you come to market, we know that it's going to be a winner. Uh, I mean, this is really simplifying it, but it's kind of that is kind of the the, yeah, yeah. the thinking behind it. Um, so you want you want some feel good for the investor. You want some feel good for future deal flow. And also um, that kind of deal flow will encourage other companies to come forward to do the, an IPO themselves because they will think, ah, yes, this company, uh, any IPO that goes with this company, it all seems to go up 50 percent on the first day. And we could do with that. Um, so, yeah, so that's what generally mm. tends to happen. And you, that is the kind of thing you want these things to go up. Okay. How how does it impact the company itself either way? Say with Deliveroo when the when the share price dropped after the listing? Um I think it is I mean, although there is a lot of comments on stuff like this that implies that oh this is oh this is terrible, this is disastrous. Yeah. I actually think it's not. Um because the the you know, when you do an IPO you are raising, a, well, you know, you're raising a decent amount of money. And, you know, you're, the, the price that you actually get floated at is really important for, for you to receive a big slug of money. Now, I remember saying about um, Deliveroo, I think that if it was just thinking about investors, I actually think that it should not have IPO'd when it did, because I feel that it IPO'd at the peak or just after the peak of, um, uh, of of its, you know, commercial strength, if you like, because mm-hmm. everyone has been ordering uh, in takeaways, they'd have it delivered, and you know that everyone was under lockdown. Now, I think in a way, in I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you know, if it had maybe IPO'd maybe a month before, maybe it might not have been quite so bad. But anyway, it it floated when it did. Um, and um, and it raised a lot of money. So I think, you know, when we talked about this earlier on, um, I I think I'll, I'll use the same analogy. So let's say, and these are complete round figures. These are not the actual figures. It's just because I can deal with these figures in my head because I'm <laughs> not a genius. <laughs> um, so let's say, for instance, you were a company um, and you wanted to issue let's say 10 million shares at a price of six quid um, uh, on, on um, you know, for, for your IPO. Um, so that means on the first, uh, uh, on the, on the first day. So what did I actually, what did I say? So 10, 10 million for six quid. That's right. So, so on the first day, that means that I would be raising 60 million quid, right? That mm-hmm. goes into my bank account. Well, sort of, um, and I can do with it, you know what i said in the ipo prospectus so um you know use it to expand in different markets blah 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 right so however if during the road shows um investors had said well i don't know the valuation is a bit high i think you're doing this is at the top of the market oh six quid a share is a little bit too much maybe we should do it at four quid a share so if you go if you capitulate on that you go okay fair enough uh, we we take your point so you you you're still floating. You're still uh, offering ten million shares, but you're you're only going to charge four pounds for them per share. So instead of earning um, sixty million quid on the first day, you're getting forty million quid. 
that is a huge difference. Mm. And that's why I actually think, although all the comments is saying how bad it is and how badly it reflects on, say, Goldman Sachs, who, who were involved, actually, I kind of think that they did all right. Because as a company, um, Deliveroo will have raised the money that it raised. And, and you know, it, it was at the low end of their initial um, price range. But still, it was still pretty toppy. And, and they still managed to get it away. And the other thing as well is that um, I think that, you know, Goldman, pre- uh, I presume, would have got paid um, a fee based on what they raised uh, as a percentage. So they would have won on that. And then I believe that they also um, would have won on the underwriting as well, because they, when you do the underwriting in a deal, you're, you buy at certain levels, you know, if it goes down a certain amounts to stop the price from dropping through the floor and then they probably made money as the as the stock bounced as well. So they they're win win, and Deliveroo is win. So Goldman Sachs and Deliveroo in that situation are win win win, whereas the investors um, kind of don't really get to share in the winning. Mm. Um, so that's I mean I know that's a bit of an unusual um, point of view on it, but that's why I say I don't think that. Deliveroo actually suffered, really. I mean, it's reputational damage. And yes, investors are going to whinge about it. But, you know, um, I guess that's just that's just the way it is. And um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, if, if it bounces back and everything goes really well, then investors will shut up and, and sell or or they'll hang on. But, you know, as we saw the other day, um, there's there's a, an increase in terms of competition from new um, newly sort of minted um, food delivery startups who've yeah. got loads who who've just raised loads of money from VCs and things, um, and they and they are going to pay for market share by offering big discounts. So I think it's going to be quite difficult for delivery um, for the at least for the next next few months anyway. Yeah. That was a really interesting discussion. No problem. No problem. But it's, it's interesting. IPO is always very interesting, I think. And um, like I said, I suppose um, you don't get to hear you don't get to hear too much about how they're, you know, what goes on in the mm-hmm. in the background. So. So, yeah, I, I, I wanted to sort of talk about that today. So <laughs> and understanding the different players and stakeholders and the impacts of the fluctuations have on them. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, but um, but there you go. So that's um, that that was um, I guess that's uh, that's that's all we've we've got uh, time for today, um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I suppose I'll what else can I just talk about? Yeah, just um, just make sure that you know get get uh, Watson's Daily. There you go. We'll do when all else <laughs> fails, do a plug for Watson's Daily. Um, so you know, obviously today we had there were fourteen. Um, you know, there were 14 um, stories in today. We've just talked about two of them. Actually, one of the things that came in that was particularly interesting as well, um, while I, or, as I was just about to send it out, was was the fact that Amazon has has beaten um, the European Commission in, in uh, you know, in a big court case. Um, yeah. Just, you know, amazing. So anyway, the, we just talked about two things. There are 14 in there. You know, 
definitely you need to be able to um, read more if to in order to be able to see mm-hmm. trend and appreciate trends. Anyway, thank you very much indeed, Tash, um, for being in the hot seat today. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Peter. No problem. And um, thank you very much, as always, listeners, for supporting us. Hope you found this interesting. Um, have a great day. And we'll see you again tomorrow. Many thanks. Bye. Bye.